You're a musician, aren't you, Dave? Yes, I am. What instrument do you play? Drums. Well, uh, we'll count that. Wouldn't you love a show on WPSC Brave New Radio at 8 p.m. on Wednesdays that would answer all your questions about how the music business works? Sort of like a Music Biz 101. Exactly. Wait, isn't there a show on at that time called Music Biz 101 and More that brings faculty and students from WP's music and entertainment management programs together with industry guests that take call-in questions and tweets from listeners about the biz? Yep, it's had all last spring and it's starting up again every Wednesday at 8 p.m. right here on 88.7 WPSC. Yes! There were great guests like Steve Lees from Sirius Radio and Aaron Van Dyne, who handles business affairs for KISS, Three Doors Down, Dave Matthews Band, and more. Also, Carl Guthrie, legendary entertainment attorney, and Paul Sinclair, VP of Digital for Atlantic Records. So, Steve, who's lined up for this semester? We have Dave Laurie, who will talk about tour management, Sean Rosenberg, a social media guru, and Sean and Rachel from Blue Raven Entertainment, just to name a few. Wow, sounds great. And it's free! That's right. Free advice every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. live at Music Biz 101 and more on WPSC 88.7 Brave New Radio. to say is you are listening to music biz 101 and more on i forgot the name of the show music biz 101 and more on brave new radio 88.7 wpsc you are listening to the alley mac project the world is ours that is the winner of our theme song contest which we ran last year and alley mac will be the winner and uh, a winner for an entire year you're gonna hear this song every week with music biz 101 more i am your co-host david kirk philp along with my co-host yes that's me steve marconi back from la and the nam show that's right are we catching our breath yet we had a snow day yesterday so we were able to get a little bit that of helped sleep. a little bit yes yes yeah. that did yeah <laughs> so, so it was good we we, we had a we had a, did you have a, a good time at nam had a great time nam the national association of music merchandisers correct right Manufacturers. Right. Man- mer- manufacturers, thank merchants. you. Merchants? merchants? I think it's merchandisers now. I oh, okay. think they have changed it, but okay. I could be wrong. Well, we're just going to call it NAM. Okay. Let's go with it, NAM. So who did you see there that you were impressed with? Stuart Copeland of The Police. Ah. Stuart Copeland gave a great keynote speech. And he would, did have no hard feelings, did he? No, he was great. No. Nothing nothing negative about He made funny jokes about Sting's ego. Mm-hmm. But the, the best thing about Stuart Copeland, this is what I thought was the coolest thing, was he was supposed to go on Friday morning at 11 o'clock. 20 minutes of 11, he runs into the room. He just bounds in is the best word. Bounds into the room, runs onto the stage, says, I'm here! And everybody was shocked that the guy was actually early, you know? Right. And then he started talking to the crowd. He started signing things, taking pictures, and he was hilarious. He was a full hour of of just buoyant joviality talking about great. stories and everything it was amazing great what about you what was your favorite part of well i think that um i did like the breakfast with steve uh, woziak i thought that was very entertaining and also i thought it was very insightful and i thought that he had a um wonderful um idea of what life should be and uh just seemed to be a very positive person and I thought that was really uh, inspiring to most of the 3,000 of us that were there that morning. 
and uh, couldn't say enough good things about music and what music does to the soul and to the mind and so on. So I was very impressed with him. It was great. And we had a number of students who attended. Yes, uh, we, we did. We had uh, some undergrad students. We had some graduate students who went. Some of them got scholarships to go. So. And the weather was great. It was much better than the weather in New Jersey in January. No, it was great no matter what. <laughs> and didn't the two of you had a seminar? I mean, didn't you two? Ah. Oh, there was that? Yes. <laughs> I did not even think of that. Right. Yes. We gave a seminar, New Revenue Streams for the DIY Musician, and there were no chairs left. That's right. It went yeah. over very well. We're too. very, very surprised. I was thinking we'd be talking to 30 people. And I, there were over 100 people in the room when we spoke. Yeah, so that, was that was great. great. Yes, very excited. We'll so. be speaking again in Cape May, New Jersey at the end of March. We'll be giving a similar presentation. There's a singer-songwriter conference mm-hmm. in March in Cape May, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. We will remind you that we're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. And our guest tonight is? Uh, our guest is George Dassinger, who is a PR. I keep calling him the PR ninja. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Partially because he's wearing black tonight. And um, our student co-host, we'll get into George, is Eric DuPont. Eric DuPont, please say Hello. Hello. Eric, as you know, is uh, wealthy. He's of the DuPont fortune. <laughs> yeah, we and, were hoping. Uh, and uh, we haven't mentioned once our producer, Philip Gorchowski. Philip Gorchowski! Okay. While you're listening, uh, make sure you have questions for George Dassinger. We're going to be talking all about public relations for for bands, for do-it-yourself bands. Um, tweet us a question, at MusicBiz101WP. We're also on Instagram, MusicBiz101WP. Snapchat, Professor Philp. You'll be able to listen to all of our shows. There are podcasts on the Stitcher mobile app, and you can always find them on our website, musicbiz101wp.com. Dr. Steve Marconi, why don't you begin with the third degree of Captain George Dassinger? Ah. <laughs> well, we should also note that George not only is the PR person extraordinaire, but he's also on the faculty in the music management program here. This in is how many my years? 20th year. God. 20th year here. And that it's must, all your fault, Steve. must be my 10th year then. You cornered me at, at a luncheon, and I've been here ever since. Wow. We'd love to have you. And uh, we have a number of students throughout the industry that are PR people now, and that's all really thanks to you. Well, you know, a lot of people don't understand the business. Um, you know, the class that I teach, uh, which I have to give a shout-out to a lot of them in the outside room, um, you know, they, they have a misconception that it's all about publicity. Today it's uh, marketing. Um, that's really what it is. In fact, they call it PR arketing. Um, someone coined that phrase, and ah. that's really what it is today. Yeah, yeah. So you started 20 years ago, and how were you teaching then? Because we were all sort of winging it. But there were very little textbooks. There were very little resources. There was very little of anything except for what we experienced. And I, now today you have certainly settled into a... A groove in a format with your class. Well, that, that I didn't have a clue great. when I first took this over, um, and I thought, well, maybe I'd teach them how to – in those days, you still did press kits. Um, and the uh, it worked for a while, and then at the end of one semester, this kid came in um, and did a poster of some porn queen that had a hit single – and with her boobs on this poster, and I thought, you know, uh, this is not working and it's not right. Um, then in 99, um, a, a, a person who was on the show, Ron Beanstock, had a race that he was participating in, um, and it was their 25th anniversary, and he said they don't have a clue as to what they're doing. I said, let's have the class represented. It turned out to be very successful. The class gave them excellent advice. And instead of on Memorial Day being red, white, and blue, um, silver, 25th anniversary, 
the uh, promoter said, you know, we'll get great T-shirts, we'll get Porsche, uh, great cars. It changed everything, and they, they sort of got the segment. Then, Dr. Marconi, I have to give you credit. You said, you know, it was really great and hands-on, but it's the music department, and we have to make it a music class. So next uh, spring semester rolls around. A friend of mine was uh, working on the uh, as part of the production crew for The Sopranos, and she managed this band. Um, she uh, managed yes, to get I the remember. band. She managed to get the band a 15-second spot on one segment under a pseudonym. Um, and so she said, how do I not blow this chance? Um, once again, I said, let my class represent it. So the end of a long story, long semester, New York Times story, TV mm-hmm. Guide, The Record, The Herald News, um, Star Ledger. We had an amazing amount of coverage on it. And it worked very, very well. Of course, the band broke up as, as they do, tend to do. Um, but needless to say, it gave me um, the idea of doing this as a hands-on class, representing a real client, putting them through the actual rigors of doing a campaign, being a, a PR firm, for lack of de- better definition. And, and the class I have this year is probably each year they get better and better. They seem to have a greater understanding of, of where the business is, like it is the business of music. It is not the music business anymore. And they seem to understand that and they grasp it a whole lot better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. So you have seen the business change, obviously, just with the number of media outlets that now are available thanks to the uh, Internet. Has any um, skill sets, have they changed? You need different skill sets now to sort of make it in the broad PR business. Well, what's really changed is where originally it might have been deemed publicity and entertainment publicity. It's now the news business. You Mm. have to make news, Mm. Um, whether it be a charity affiliation, whether you're doing some sort of social cause, whether you've written a song that's controversial or controversial, which is the new coin phrase. (laughs) But they all seem to work. You know, there's certain things that, that, that resonate with people and it's not it, everything's changed. I mean, it's just not, I get, wrote a great song and everybody should pay attention to me. Actually, it's a personality business now. So you have to be known for something before your your song becomes secondary, tertiary. Uh, and that's unfortunately the way it's worked out. But if you think like that, if you start your campaign by doing something meaningful, writing a book. Um, I had one student in one class, um, and I've told my class this tonight he managed this band and he said the guys are lazy they sleep all day he said um i'm trying to get them to do stuff they just do the gigs but they don't do anything else and i said well what else do they do he said well they live in a house and lead singer cooks and i said is he a good cook he said he's fabulous so i said have him write a cookbook well i saw him he called me i guess about a year later and said we sell more cookbooks at gigs than Uh we do records Mm -hmm. And he said, it's all about selling. I mean, um, a good friend of mine, John Kennedy, uh, is the road manager for the Smithereens. He told me the other day they make no money at gigs. They barely break even. By the time the manager gets paid, booking agent gets paid, road agent, they don't have any money. So he said, we make all our money on merchandising and selling albums and um, selling T-shirts and any other thing that we can get our hands on. That's how we make our money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, when we were speaking in... Anaheim last week. That was one of the main things we were talking about is it's not just about the merch, the merchandise that you're creating, but or, or the, the, just the fact that you can sell merchandise. It's creating something interesting and different. And Eric, wasn't I talking about that in class today as yes, well? Yes, you were. 
I, apparently I was. Yes, I was. yes you <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Eric. Very good job there. Um, what we, I'd like to mention that Eric is a drummer, and that's why he's a, he's a little quiet. But um, but yeah, you're I absolutely mean, right. The about cookbook that. I mean, is a if great you go thing. to a Hall and Oates show, they actually sell edible panties. Mm-hmm. Um, Hall and Oates edible panties. Now mm-hmm. that that's creative marketing on their part, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I told my class this story of a band I had when I was at Electra Records called Metal Church. Now they were out of Seattle, heavy metal band, like a whole bunch of bunch of others, and uh, the lead singer and the um, drummer both came into my office, and I said, "How do you guys survive?" You know, how do you do this? The record's not selling all that well. It's doing okay. But, you know, what do you do? And the one, the drummer said, he goes, my dad, he said, uh, sells um, supplies to pharmaceuticals companies and pharmacies. And he said, so we buy these neck braces that when you get a whiplash, you put it around. He said, we stamp metal, metal church on it. He said, we pay, a, we pay a dollar a piece for them. We sell them at $7 at every show. We net, he said, $7,000 a show. By selling stuff that, like you said, you're right, Dave. They came up with a creative thing that fit in the genre of music they were playing in and did something different. And that's pretty much where they were making their money. So how how often does the PR person have to sort of manage the band as well? PR actually is management when you really get down to it. Because sometimes managers, all they want to do is collect their 20, 15%, whatever it is, and they get lazy. Mm-hmm. You know, eventually they don't feel like they have to do anything. So they're, the artist will turn to their PR marketing guy and say, well, I need something. I need a shot of adrenaline. I need something different. Um, just even in a case of point, I mean, if you've seen the insurance commercial with Kenny Rogers singing the Gambler yes. song, yeah. he's reinvented that song in a sense in a comical way. But he looks like the old Kenny Rogers, which I'm glad he's all that plastic surgery sort of, you know, sort of dissipated or worked his way into what he's supposed to look like. But he's he's reactivated something that I worked the Gambler um, collection when it came out. That was one of my pet projects. And uh, Kenny was massive at that point. Is is his star status the same? No, he's got to play different. That's why he does Christmas shows. He goes out and does two-month Christmas show every year. Michael McDonald does the same thing. Are they doing anything different? Not necessarily, but they're... They're actually taking the concept of the season and making it work for them in their careers mm-hmm. and adding extra money. I do the same thing with Little Anthony. I have Little, Little Anthony's written a book. He does a one-man show now. He's a pianist. He's got uh, photos of uh, Sammy Davis Jr. comes up. He tells us about Sammy, hanging out with Sammy. He tells us about Red Fox. He does a mom's Mabley impression, does another song with the piano, and it's a very intimate kind of way, and we sell a whole lot of books at every show. We just did a show in Las Cruces, um, 400-seat auditorium, and they sold 150 books. Now, you Mm -hmm. can't do that in a bookstore. Bookstores are not in the book-selling business anymore. Mm -hmm. They're in the game business. Um, Go into Barnes & Nobles. They don't have books in the front. They have cards, games, calendars, and the books are further back. That's mm-hmm. where they've moved. So you can't do that where it used to work. You have to like kind of reinvent yourself or find another way of doing the same thing in a different place. Now, is that difficult sometimes for stars? Or for, it's always for difficult. Clients? Some of them are terribly resistant to it because they just don't want things to change. And you have to be the kind of voice of, hey, um, the world has changed and either you change with it or just give up. And, you know, some, some of them will accept that. Like Anthony grasped it in a minute. He said, he said, even selling a book, it's, he said, this is not a road race. It's a marathon. And, I will, mm-hmm. and, I, and now this talk of he's meeting with people for Broadway that would like to bring his story to Broadway, 
But had that book not happened, I don't think that conversation would have happened. That's good. That would be great. Yeah. 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 I, mean, I mean, how old is little Anthony now? 70? Anthony what? just turned 74 on January 8th. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a birthday party for him, um, which, of course, you know, the funny things happen when you work a show. Um, they designated me to bring out this birthday cake. Um, so they lit the candles. I walk on stage in the cutting room. I'm holding this cake. I'm watching these candles burn down. And Anthony decides he does every breath you take, and he decides to do an extra stanza. Meanwhile, the candles were down to like the flame was on top of the cake. And finally, he turned around and with one breath blew them all out. And also, I took a breath of relief, too. But, boy, it was close. Good. Uh, and, but, you know, these are the things that you're not ready for in, in this business. And you got to really think on your feet half the time. What's, what's interesting is, is comparing it to what happened a week ago. We talked about this was uh, Bob Dylan is releasing his new CD, 50,000 units of it. Actually, Eric, you brought that up in class the other yes, day. Yes, I did. Explain what Bob Dylan's doing. Um, he just asked that 50,000 copies of his new album that's coming out next week, he just asked that um, 50,000 copies are freely distributed. So he's giving uh, the copies to AARP magazine. Um, so they're just randomly giving them the out cover. to their subscribers. And he's on the cover now. If Bob Dylan was 20 years old, no one would have ever convinced him to do a magazine of that nature. He would have said, "Ah, that's for old farts. But, you know, at his age, it's applicable. Plus, his audience is... I think it has to do with the content, too, because it's Mm -hmm. um, songs from the Great American Mm -hmm. Songbook that were made famous by Frank Sinatra. So Mm -hmm. I think it has to do with the content also. Dylan sings Frank Sinatra. Oh, God. Are you sure you want to hear that? Only at a party. <laughs> That's good. But but I guess my, my my point about that was how much influence is an artist receiving from you, the PR kidding guy, and for example, a manager like does little Anthony also have a manager or are you kind of doing Anthony everything? has a business manager and he's a bean counter. Um which sometimes we knock heads um because um he'll say, Well, this one man show didn't make enough money um the last time we went out. And I'll have to say, you know, you, you don't get it. I said, um, you wouldn't have gotten the talent coordinator from CBS Sunday Morning coming to a theater to see Little Anthony Imperials. He came there to the one-man show because it was educational and loved it. But And I said, and there, and there you start knocking heads. And I've always knocked heads with bead counters. They're always, even whether my lecture days, my biggest fights were the guys who were the accountants where I was told – Oh, you can't direct billing. Direct billing means like if you go to a hotel and they pay, the company pays your money in advance. He said, since I, um, I, I, I'm not entitled to that. And I told him, I used an expletive and told him to leave my office mm. and went ahead and did it anyway because I did have the approval from his boss, which pissed him off that I went around him. And I always go around people. Um, I figure if they're going to be mad at me, they're going to be mad at me. Ultimately, I want to further the career of the people that I'm working with. The other thing that new artists have to understand is that you need to be seen live in some conceivable way. Um, They spend all this money doing a new record. Um, They pay the producer. They pay engineers. They pay studio time. And then they have no more money and they go, well, what am I going to do? You didn't do a YouTube live version? we, We don't play live. Well, you already have a problem there because people want to see the live production of what you do. Um, I have a good friend of mine who's a manager who actually thinks like me, and he insists that they do something live, whether it's on film or whether they do a live presentation in some sort of way or a charity benefit, something that makes them tangible more than just, you know, this um, we're a studio band and we don't do that kind of thing. Just you can't – that doesn't hold true anymore. 
Mm-hmm. I'm thinking studio band. I'm going back to Toto. Yeah, well, I mean, they're, you, yeah. Oh, the Beatles. The Beatles were a perfect studio band. They weren't very good live. They weren't very good live at all. Well, yes, we couldn't hear them. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that, that's <laughs> yeah, right. And they weren't concerned about that, you know. But, but things have changed. You know, it's it's like the audience needs to reach out and experience their the artist. And it's more than just the hit single. You can have a hit single and be gone next week. I mean, there's photos in the paper today of Usher. He was on the beach in Long Beach on the pier. Um, dressed as a mime. No one knew it was him. Now, of course, there happened to be photographers that took his picture and put it all over the place. So if you you will never convince me that that wasn't planned to do that. He right. did it intentionally. He needed the shot of adrenaline to make him visible again. And no matter what kind of sales he's had, it, is, when you're on top, there's only one place to go. So how do you maintain that? How do you reinvent yourself? Some people are brilliant at it. Madonna certainly is brilliant at it. Whether you give her credit or not, she, her longevity is, speaks for itself. Sinatra did the same thing, went to retirement and then came out of retirement. Barbara Streisand's done the same thing. She's retired three times and come out of retirement. Tony Bennett mm-hmm. yes. done it. And, and Tony Bennett, is a lot. his son did a lot of, was the brains behind that, convincing his dad to do stuff. But now I understand his, his daughter has taken over and she actually, there was a gig that they were supposed to be at and they went to the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking about being on top, because this radio show, Music Biz 101 and More, is on top. We are the top-rated show at this hour on this radio station every Wednesday night. And one thing we want to bring up to you is we want to put you to work right okay. now. What we're going to have and we're sort of announcing now is every year, WPSC has a promotion called Braveathon, which yes. takes place, uh, which you were involved very with, familiar with, with the creation of Braveathon. For our listeners, uh, actually, why don't you... Since you were involved with the creation, explain briefly what Braveathon is, and then we'll tell you why we're talking about it. Um, it actually came out of um, the class like that I teach now. Um, thanks to Dr. Marconi, he introduced me to Rob Quick. Um, Rob um, had taken over this radio station. The only thing they had enough money for was their new logo. That was it. Comes into class and explains to my class that they have no money. Um, how do we compete with the big guys? How do we compete with... Um, like the major college radio stations, WSOU for right off the top of the bed. And I said, you're going to have to make them come to you, Rob. And he said, how do I do that? I said, come to my class. Let's see what we'll brainstorm, see what we come up with. The Braveathon actually was the idea of one of the students that sat in the class who said, we have so much talent here at William Patterson. We don't do anything with it. What if we did a 12-hour broadcast, 12 different groups, 12 different performers, Hour after hour, we broadcast it on TV, broadcast it, and create something. And, and Rob said, well, you know, we're Brave New Radio. Let's call it Braveathon. And that's how that created. And that's mm-hmm. how that started. I also added to Rob at that point, I said, um, why don't we create an award? And he said, and, and I'll do my impression of Rob. Well, George, <laughs> you know, how, how, who cares about us? And I said, well, you know, the Academy Awards, their first Academy Awards was attended by 100 people at a luncheon at 2.30 in the afternoon in L.A. And look what the Academy Awards is today. I said, it all started somewhere. I said, P- awards are a PR gimmick, basically. I said, so let's create a, you know, Bravery in Radio Award. And Rob goes, well, well who are we going to give it to? And I, and I said, uh, I'll call Les Paul. And Rob goes, you know Les Paul? And I went, yeah, I'll call him at home. I'll ask him. Long story short, I call Les Paul, and Les says, I've never gotten a radio award. Of all the awards I've been given, I've never gotten a radio award. I'll be honored to take the award. 
So Rob and I set it up for it's April. He's playing Iridium. I think we're going to just go down to Iridium, give the award to Les, do a sound check, and, and we're back in our car, back to Jersey, and we're out of there. We do that whole thing, take pictures, give the award, and so we're packing up, and Les Paul goes, where are you going? And I said, well, we're, we're done. He goes, no, 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 no. you got to give me the award on stage. So Rob says, you want me to give this award on stage on your show? He goes, yeah, I'll stop the show. You come up, give me the award. You talk British. He says, you sound real good. <laughs> he said, uh, come up and give me the, the award. And uh, he said, and you, you know, it would be very special. So, um, and then it took off after that. Um, the Bravery and Radio went to Bruce Morrow the next year. Mm-hmm. Howard Stern heard it, did a 15-minute segment saying that Bruce Morrow's already dead, but no one's already told him, and that <laughs> he's brave, he should get the award. And sure enough, the next year when it came around, we didn't give it just to Howard Stern, but we gave it to Howard Stern and Robin Quivers. And then um, the year after that, it, we turned it over to the students, which went in their own, didn't quite grasp the personality aspect of it, and they gave it to an NPR show, and the producers only ex- finally accepted the award just recently. They didn't mm-hmm. see the meaningfulness of it. Um, Radio then, Lab. Yeah, Radio Lab. Um, and, you know, it was, it was well-intended, but they didn't understand it's personality-driven. So then last year we gave it to Elvis Duran. Elvis Duran loved getting this award, and the headphones that were all came from Elvis Duran because at the end of the segment after we were on the show, uh, he said, what do you guys need? I said, they need headphones. And I go, we'll hook you up. And they got headphones for this radio station. So mm-hmm. that's, what, that's what you do. That's who you take a small germ of an idea and expand it year by year by year and help it grow. And our producer, Philip Gorakovsky, has been Elvis Duran's intern all year. He's a good man. Good man. And they have a great, great crew over there, too. They loved getting this, and they grasped the idea of it, and they were honored, and that's the way it should be accepted. And Radio Lab, I think, after Rob wrote them a number of letters, finally realized how they screwed up and didn't accept it and finally have accepted the award. Mm-hmm. It sat here, I think, for over a year and a half. Well, mm-hmm. yeah. it's, it's like um, my dog, after my dog was cremated, sat on top of the uh, mantelpiece for about two years before we figured out what to do with it. Mm-hmm. So it's totally the same thing. Did he win an award? What? Did he win an award? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the dog. All Carina. dogs go to heaven. Yeah. Karina yeah. Award. Exactly. Um, we have about two minutes left. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to uh, briefly tell you what we're going to do. When we come back from the break, then we'll go to work. And then we're also going to take a lot of tweets. We have tons of questions for you. Okay. Um, um, Braveathon is taking place uh, in April. And we have been given two slots, two one-hour slots to give away as a contest for Music Biz 101 and more. And we are going to run two separate contests. The first contest is going to be for bands to submit a video to us. And between Philip, Dr. Marconi, myself, and uh, somebody else at Brave New Radio, we're going to judge who the best winner is. The uh, second contest will be sort of a crowd funded type of contest whoever can put together um the greatest story mm-hmm. whoever can put together you know the best gifts and vines and, and social media campaign and make the most people scream and say this guy has to win this band has to win they will be the second winner mm-hmm. and um i guess the question to you would be we let's say we laid this concept on your lap two prizes to be given away two one hour slots in april what would you do to promote this whole thing and do we have time to start or should we wait till we come back all right. Very briefly, give your first thoughts, and when we come back, you can complete your thoughts. you got to publicize it. I mean, I would do the Aquarian. I would try and get it in the record. Um, 
Radio Waves, which is um, the column that Ray Adele does in the record on Fridays. I, I would get it out way before April. Start it now. You know, get you, you need more than just the radio presentation of it. I would expand it as much as possible. Okay. And while, while we... Uh let that run around our craniums. We're listening again to The World is Ours, The Ally Mac Project. We're going to come back in just a moment with your tweets. We're going to talk just a little bit more about this potential project. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more on Brave New Radio 88.7 on the FM Dive. Say, Dave, do you know that One Direction had the number one stadium tour this year? No. Do you know that YouTube won't make the same licensing deal with the indie labels that it does with the majors? They won't. Do you know that Vivo only airs videos from Sony and Universal and does not censor any material? Hey, Steve, how do you know all this stuff? Because last semester I tuned into Music Biz 101 and more on Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. on WPSC Brave New Radio and heard industry guests talk about all of this stuff. That's that cool show from the Music and Entertainment Industry Management Department on campus that you can call in or tweet questions about the Music Biz, right? It's the only one in the country, and it's a Stitcher Radio podcast as well. Wow, so the show airs live every Wednesday at 8 p.m. I bet they have great guests lined up. I'd like to learn more about touring using social media and DIY stuff. Just coincidentally, the semester show will include tour manager Dave Laurie, social media whiz Sean Rosenberg, and from Clifton, Sean and Rachel from Blue Raven Entertainment. When's that show on again? Wednesday nights, 8 p.m. Live only on 88.7 WPSC, Brave New Radio. And, and it's, it's free! If you want to learn about the music industry, You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. Do you guys know what the song is? Drive Talk. Ooh, look at that. We have a PR guy on the radio, and he knows Jive Talking by Los Bee Gees is on the air. They were clients of mine. You worked with the Bee Gees. And Andy, too. Andy was a client of mine. Oh, that's right. You worked with Andy Gibb a long time with the the drug. Last time you were on the air, and we should tell people, um, go to Music Biz 101 and more. Sorry, go to Music Biz 101 WP.com, and you can find a podcast that we did with George last spring in which you gave the story about Andy Gibb. And and thank you for having me back, by the way. You're very welcome. Right? Um, we only did it because Philip Horachowski, our producer, insisted. <laughs> Steve and I wanted You're nothing. You're the man, Phil. You are the man. Yes, he makes things happen. So um, we, the way we left this off is we were talking about Braveathon, and we have a right. contest, and we're announcing now that we have this contest. And there are going to be two versions. The first uh, of this contest, the first one-hour slot. By the way, the winners, I should say, the winners receive a 30-minute uh, performance on the air so they can you know they have 30 minutes to play their stuff and then they're going to run in and be interviewed for between 20 and 30 minutes well you know my the current class 
for between. Oh, the one current and two class years. represents your radio show, and I think that we should do a news release on that. That's okay. where we will go to work on that right away. So right. we'll. So what I said before about how getting it out, we'll do that for you. Great. Right. Okay. Yeah, and and because what we're talking about is, is George as uh, the PR ninja, which is what is his website <laughs> is prninja.com. I bet there is a, there's got to be somebody who's a PR uh, ninja. I imagine so. There's all sorts of coin phrases that some of them use. I try to avoid all of those catchphrases. It's just not me. But you know, some of them it works for, and some I guess it doesn't. You know, so mm-hmm. right. And that's it's okay. So. Um, so okay, so so what yes. you would think if if somebody has a project, if it's a band, if if it's if it's us with this contest with our show, the first thing you think you think somebody should do is create some sort of press release. Yeah, you, well, it's actually a news release. You got to be in the news business. You got to make news today. Um, you know, you can call it a press release, and there's some sort of disparity, and people do have different schools of how they see it. I feel more adamant about news. I like I cited. I start my the class every day with a question of the day. And today the question was, why is Robin Thicke and Pharrell Williams really happy regarding um, a certain family that is suing them? Well, it turned out that the uh, copyright for Blurred Lines and the Marvin Gaye family is that the federal judge has ruled that they're not allowed to play the song in court, that they're going to bring in a live musician and he's going to play it on piano. So that's why Pharrell and Robin Thicke should be really happy because – the sound is what they're discussing and, the, and what the dispute is. Playing Blurred Lines on or playing the Marvin Gaye song on piano is not going to sound the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And, and it, it broke as a news story in the Daily News on page three today, right next to Kim Kardashian wearing very little. So once again, it's the news business. And so we, my class, we will make this a news story and we will help you get the word out in every place that we can. And it's a really good story. And, and that's the other thing that when you work PR and marketing, you need some – got to give you ammunition. You've got the gun, but unless they give you the bullets to shoot, you just can't hit the mark. So my class will do a damn good job. They're, they're really savvy. These guys are good. That's, that's great. So for DIY bands, they, maybe they can't afford – you know, hiring a, a an agency or, or anybody to do it. Um, what would you say the the number? You know, one through three, the top three things that a band should do when it comes to their own public. Well, relations. there's always somebody in in the group, hopefully, that's got some sort of business acumen, and they should create an alternate identity and create and become the PR person for that particular band. Nobody will ever find out that they're working under a pseudonym. Um, there's you do a release, you put your name on it. They're they're pitching. They'll never put two and two together that it's the same person who works in the band or part of the band. So you start doing publicity and promotion and get on radio, do interviews. I mean, the more visibility the band has, the better it's going to be. So that would be the first thing I would do. The second thing is you just can't expect that everybody's going to drop dead and pay attention to what you're doing. It's terribly competitive today, and entertainment is getting less and less coverage on on a day-by-day basis. So you're going to have to find some other ways of doing things, perhaps. And, you know, I don't believe mailings. I don't think they work anymore. Um, Social media only works to a point. Um, So maybe you have to uh, perhaps start a chat. Go on college radio. Talk about what you're doing. Talk about it way in advance. I always, you know, I point out to my class, let's do the film business. The Star Wars trailer is already being shown. You're not going to be able to see Star Wars until December. They're selling you something that you're not going to even be able to tangibly see 
months and months and months in advance. They have you talking about it. Fifty Shades of Grey, for example, is coming out. They put the soundtrack out long before they put out the film. Mm -hmm. They're selling the film via the music. So you have to come up with, and, and you know, it, it, if I'm a, the band that's still the garage band, if, if then probably now it's apartment band. Um, like in Brooklyn, for example, they do apartment concerts. They've been very, very successful. You pack a hundred people and you and you and you create your own following. It's and, and a lot of it is like the old adage. Someone once asked one of the members of the Grateful Dead, "How did you get such a fan base?" And the comment was from Kretzmann. One fan at a time. Mm -hmm. That still holds true. One fan at a time. And then build on that. Now find some way not to lose that one fan, and then one becomes two, two becomes four, four becomes eight. And you arithmetically create your own audience and a core audience. And you could do exceedingly well just with an audience. I mean, look what Fish has done. Look what Porcupine Tree has done. Porcupine Tree sold out two shows at, at Radio City, yet when I mention them to my brother-in-law, he goes, who the hell are they? Mm -hmm. But he's 60. He doesn't know who they are. They, that's not their audience. Yeah. So you, you do stuff like that, and then you need to be active again. Um, I have very good friends... Um, in living color, um, they needed. They were supposed to be the great big thing. They never materialized to that. Why? Well, a lot of it's probably internal. Two guys wanted to go one way, the other two wanted to go other, and then you have the stalemate. Um, eventually, um, somebody has to be the tiebreaker. Someone has to say, "This is the way we're going." I'm voting to left side or right side, and so, and then you need to. Find some way to do something. For example, I brought the Living Colors guys onto um, Breakfast with the Beatles. They're a big Beatles fan. Now, would you think of Beatles and Living Color in the same sentence? Maybe, perhaps not. But once they were on the show, they got a whole new audience that discovered them again. Um, of course, their album was supposed to come out, but once again, the left side and right side start arguing. The record's still not done, mm -hmm. and then they become their own worst enemies. So that's the other problem. Sometimes you have to be the political diplomat. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Eric DuPont has the Music Biz 101 and More Tweet Hotline. Why don't you read our first tweet question of the week? All right. The first question is from Philip Gillette. He says, do you think it's practical or necessary for a jazz musician today to have a manager or a marketing slash PR agent? <sighs> jazz is tough. Um, less and less money in jazz. Um, I would limit... Um, that kind of manager, um, I would work for a guy that that got me involved in key gigs, um, whether it's a, um, a crab a crayfish festival in New Orleans or some sort of jazz a tribute to someone um, so that your name is associated. But that's marketing. I, w I would look for a marketing guy um, and perhaps not necessarily a major agency, but somebody that's hungry to do that. Um, they can do more for you than sometimes the old agency business, Eric, as I explained in a class. First month, they do nothing. Second month, they do a little. Third month, they do a little more. Four, fourth month, they do a lot. Fifth month, they sort of cut back, and then they want you to resign in the sixth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, our next one is from Jeanette E. Music. She asks, what is the first part in the process of getting a new artist exposure? Getting the name out is the first thing you got to do. It's all about personality today. So any way that you can do that, and some of them could be novel, um, whether it's some sort of minor commercial endorsement, um, perhaps even um, doing a song for an auto dealership. 
But then you got to make sure that they know that's your song. You can't just accept, once again, or expect people to figure it all out for themselves. It's really difficult today to come up with 2 plus 2 and equals 4. So you got to make sure all of that stuff's done. And even if you think you've made it sure, make sure, again, do extra work and don't trust anybody. We... Uh during our talk at NAM on Friday, we talked about uh, local jingles and that maybe um, certainly a local business couldn't afford to pay you, but you would do the jingle and then they would maybe sell your merch at the counter mm -hmm. or they would sell them your merch in some way that you would have never been able to uh, do and then you get your name out to a whole different audience. I have uh, a friend of mine that did the Sleepies commercial. And, and I told him, I said, but nobody knows that you did it. And he said, well, I, I make so much money on it that I, I don't feel I should do that. And I think that's counterproductive. Mm -hmm. I mean, once again, you know, they know the jingle and they don't realize that someone had to create that. Someone had to write that. Whether it was catchy, um, some of them are annoying. I mean, you know, but, right. but, <laughs> but once again, if you put two and two together and come up with four, it's well worth the effort that you put into it. But you, you can't expect everybody to figure it out for themselves. Mm-hmm. All right, next question is from JLo Music. She asks, what are some of the things independent artists shouldn't do in terms of promoting his or her music? Should not do. Avoid getting into political situations, first of all. Don't take sides on political. Playing a political event is a different story. Um, what else shouldn't you do? Um, avoid where something's going to turn negative, where people like, say, I hate the Boston Patriots. You're going to divide. It's a divided camp the minute you made that statement. Say, try to be more um, and sort of impartial about it, perhaps. You know, um, voicing, everybody's like, you know, got a comment on everything today. And, and they can backfire. You know, you can make a statement that sounds um, um, overtly sexual, something that, that is uh, considered racist, although it wasn't intended. Mm -hmm. You've really got to be careful of how you, you, know, you position yourself. Okay. Uh, John Carlo Cord asks, what do you feel is the best way to build a PR connection as a musician and as a band member? You know, John, any way you can. I mean, you know, there's, there's just no sort of set rules, you know, but if one story, one story will get you two. And, you know, a lot of people think today it's uh, print is sort of obsolete. Uh, it's not. Um, your name and print um, and the print uh, impact itself is a lot. You can call somebody a name verbally, but put it in print and watch the reaction you get. Um Alternative newspapers still hold true. College newspapers, college radio stations. I would do anything and everything and do it in a concentric circle. If, if we're living here and our band is in Wayne, New Jersey, Wayne would be my first focus. Once I had Wayne sort of done, I would branch out 10 miles in a radius around Wayne. Once I had that, I would expand 10 more. Pretty soon you'd be in New York City if you keep doing that and create a market for yourself and create a fan base. Yeah, we had Lauren Marsh on last week whenever it was, and she um, she's an independent artist that uh, just graduated from the pop music program last year, and she was talking about how she has a routine, and, um, and she has a, a spreadsheet, Excel, that she will go back to somebody and she'll mark whether they answered her or not, and so on and so forth. So she's very methodic about it in the sense mm -hmm. that she covers 
you know, blankets the area before she moves out and out and out. And well, out. also the way you kind of, uh, the, the genre of music and the way you explain yourself. I, I had one client approach me and I turned her down because she said, well, we're a bluegrass band. And I said, bluegrass limits you. Why don't you become an Americana band? Which basically is the same, mm -hmm. but Americana is a much bigger format than bluegrass. Bluegrass, for me, as a, as a, as a person who would buy a ticket, I'm not going to go to a bluegrass festival. Will I go to Americana festival? Yes. I, I might see the same act, but she was resistant. She said, oh, I have to talk to the band. And the minute the leader of the band's got to talk to the, the – the, a democratic way of working a band has never worked. They've, often, they've all self-destructed. There's got to be a dictatorship in there somewhere who makes the ultimate decision. Everybody's got to suck it up. And if the ends pay off, they all win. Mm -hmm. uh, Sarah Dinetz asks, do you agree with the idea that all publicity is good publicity? No. Well, and that's combined, by the way, with that tweet. And there's another person who asks, do you think that publicity that shows you in a bad light is a bad thing? Yes. Yeah, I do. Um, all that, that could backfire. I mean, and you got to be careful of things that are backfiring, even if it isn't intentional. You know, that, that old, ex and that's an old expression. I think that was probably done, you know, when they had 1940s press. <laughs> all publicity is good, but they used to make up stuff. I mean, they had actress Merle Oberon as being from England. Literally, literally she was from India. They, you know, they would make up stuff. They'd make up stuff about, you know, Errol Flynn, about what his background was. They could create that stuff, and nobody checked those things. Mm -hmm. Today, everybody knows everything. You can Google somebody and find out something. I have a new client who, um, who came to me, and I said, I Googled you, and you've got a little shady past where you were sued for fraud. And he said, all those cases, all those things have been dropped and I've been exonerated. I said, yeah, but there's nothing up about that. So you're, you're going to get questions about that. That won't haunt you. It'll come back. So the first thing when you start doing stuff, talk about that before it even happens, before that question even comes up, beat them to the punch. So any publicity is good publicity. doesn't hold true anymore. But the PR guys do what we call spin it, don't they? Yeah, well, we all spin it. You know, you all ultimately, but it's like I told my class today, we work angles. Find out an angle, like, for example, the, this radio show, the fact that you podcast. So if there's a feature being done on podcasts and a class gets you mentioned in it, it's a win. You know, even if it's a mention, it's a win. Mm -hmm. So you, you really have to kind of think sometimes conceptually. Um, and actually, con concept is an easier sell than a specific sell. So if I have a band um, that we only do original material, I will encourage them to do, well, what's your greatest influence? you got to work that into somewhere. I, I had a student last year in one of my classes, and she was playing the bottom line. Not the bottom line, excuse me, bitter end. Mm -hmm. And she said, and if you know the bitter end, they, they, there's four or five acts. They go in, they come out. She said, how do I get attention? Well, at that time, the Carol King musical was just coming out. And I told her, I said, do you know Carol King? And I said, uh, do a Carol King song or two in the middle of your set and say the Broadway play and, or it's going to Broadway and we're doing Carol King. So when she came back to the class, I said, how'd it go? She said, it went over great. And said, in fact, we worked the Carol King now into our set that it works so well. Mm -hmm. But they wouldn't have done that had you not made that suggestion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Next, we have a two-part question from Valerie Earp. She asks, have you ever had to deal with a public relations crisis in the music industry? And if so, how did you? Valerie, I've had I mean, a lot. Today? Of, I've had, yeah. today I, you know, about I'm really good at crisis management. I don't like doing them because basically crisis management, you only get back to square zero. Um, I've had quite a few of them. Uh, Nikki Taylor, 
um, supermodel at the time, started dating a, a mob guy named Chris Passiello. Um, eventually, she got dragged into um, one of the attorney general, well, the Brooklyn district attorney wanted to talk to her because they flew up from Miami and spent $9,000 at Barney's and they thought it was stolen money. Turned out that it wasn't. But, you know, in what I told when I actually got a call from the district attorney and I told him, I'm not going to turn my client over to you. I said, you're just going to use her to make Chris Passiello squirm in jail. And I said, you want him to talk. And I said, you're, gonna, you're not going to use my client. So uh, he said to me, he goes, uh, who do you think you're talking to? And I said, I don't know who I'm talking to. You're calling me on the phone. Fax me your credentials. And I hung up on him. <laughs> Fax him. <laughs> uh, he faxed me his credentials. And my wife looked at me and she said, are you out of your mind? And I went, no, I'm stalling. That's all I'm doing. <laughs> and when he called back, um, I said to him, look, I'm not going to turn her over. Next day, there was all sorts of stories in the paper. It turns out the Brooklyn Criminal Courts building in the DA's office is in the same building right below it is where all the newspapers are. Everybody picked it, and I told and I called them the next day. I said, you've got a leak in your office. And I said, you use my client. And I said, you, that's what you're going to do. He said, you're absolutely right. He said, I'll tell you what. We don't want to talk to her anymore. So did I avert the crisis there? Yes. Did they get her later at a gas station in Florida when she was pumping gas? Yes. <laughs> Um, Vuyo Satash says, hi, George. What five things make a good music PR manager? Uh, that's a really interesting question. It depends on what you want. Some people hire people that are just bad guys. Um, if you need a bad guy, they hire you. Um, and then you become the bad guy so they could be the good guy. Um, and it's historic. Uh, I don't adhere to that. If I'm looking for a good PR person, first the thing I want to know is that they're telling me the truth. Secondly, what are they going to get from me? And I want to see a campaign in paper. I want to see something tangible. Mm -hmm. The third thing, can they deliver it? And the fourth thing is I would stay on top of them. And the fifth thing, I, wouldn't make sure, I would make sure that everything they said they were going to do, that they backed up. Mm -hmm. uh, this question is from Sean Krizkowski. What are some ways of promoting music that do not seem to work out in the long run for artists? Hmm... Good question, Sean. Um, you know, some of the things like doing an old traditional song, like if you were to record Take Me Out to the Ball Game, and it was um, after the baseball season, eh, nobody cares. <laughs> At the start of the baseball season, now it's like pitches and catchers all start going down to Florida. You might be able to get that kind of attention. Of course, then you use it in the baseball season. Once baseball season's over, so is the song. And maybe you do it in a different way. Maybe you do it in a hip-hop version. Maybe you do it in a rap. Maybe you do it in a kind of uh, high-volume, kind of um, different variation that nobody would expect. And, uh, you know, who is famous for that? And, and Dr. Marconi, which is starting with the Kronos Quartet, mm. played, did Jimi Hendrix, blew everybody away when they did that. Sure. Were they doing something different? Yes. Were they doing something the same? Yes. And Kronos Quartet, by the way, also then continued and they played with Elvis Costello mm -hmm. as well, which was good for both of them because it was a different look. Right. We have a question from uh, on the other side of the glass. We should mention again that George is a the, the class is media use in the music and entertainment industry. That's the, the name of your yeah. Class? Well, we kind of, that was Dr. Marconi and I conjured that up twenty years ago, <laughs> and it, it sort of stuck. Okay, so uh, a question for George. Yes, um, we have one 
from Coleslaw SXE. And he asks, what are some good tips on getting exposure for a band through new news outlets? Um, working with a charity. Um, uh, I've never seen it fail. Um, and, and check the charity out. I mean, there's watchdog groups that you can go online. Um, they make sure that the money goes to where it's supposed to go because if you uh, align yourself with a charity and it's not exactly um, copacetic, it'll backfire. Um, uh, look for to involve yourself in um, some sort of festival um, that's that's happening, but make sure, don't depend on the festival to do the work for you. Promote it yourself. Do everything yourself because if they chime in, it's just going to add to what you did. It's a, it's a great point. We Again, when we talk about the NAM talk we gave in Anaheim this week, we talked about a lot of things that I've done is with charities. I actually have a, a classic rock night that I'm doing this Saturday night in town um, where we're hoping to raise around $5,000 for the Wayne Rotary and its local charities that they give money to. And it's, it's, it's just all cover songs, but it's, it's classic rock songs. You get it. We have about 25 guys in the band, but we do four or five of these shows every, every year for, for charities. And they're I great. just, I did some for a client of mine, WD, um, where I got a guitar and we got everybody to sign it. And then we donated it to world hunger year, it raised $1,100. And on the website, it was up there for 40 days on charitybuzz.com and WD was up there on that site. Now, they wouldn't have had that otherwise. Um, not only did they do a good thing for the charity, but they also got their name affiliated and and the exposure there, whether it was being talked about on Sirius or whether people talked about it in, as far as reading about it, journalists, um, all total world hunger, you raised $400,000 just from their annual auction. Okay, we have about three minutes left and here is one of our last questions. Hey, I'm John Scott. I just had uh, one question for you. Uh, how do you use PR to help jump jumpstart your career, even though even if you're not looking to have a career in PR? It's getting your name out there, John. You know, uh, it, it everybody looks for leaders. Um, they look for people to take the reins and and do something. Um, and so, the minute you start to position yourself and get to know key media, you never know where or uh, somebody you even affiliate with, you never know where they're going to come back around and go, hey, John, you know, I, I met you uh, five years ago when you did this little thing. Well, you know, I got this big festival and, you know, you're still doing stuff. And they contact you and all of a sudden what turned out to be a small association becomes a big association. Mm-hmm. All right. That's great. John, thank you very much. John walked into the studio and took it over. That's my man. What do we have, about two minutes left? Because what I think we should do now is do a little recap, Dr. Stephen Marconi, and list some of the lessons that we have learned. Mm -hmm. This is great, because just like the first time we had you on the air, George, this is one of those, I'm great we have the podcast, because I listened to that more than once, and uh, I have students listen to these podcasts that we do, because Mm -hmm. there's such great stuff. So five lessons that I wrote down, and there are more. When I listen back, there will be more. One is, it's not just PR, it's PRketing. Did I I say that, DeRay? Yeah, well, it's a coin phrase. That, yeah. You know, they took two words and molded them together. Mm-hmm. But but the the idea yes. is is, is Think it's, marketing. it's marketing. You're, yes, it's, you're putting a marketing plan together, and this is this is part of the whole thing. Um, the next thing is it's not a news business. I'm sorry, it's the news business. You know, yes. we're we're creating news. It's non-traversial yes. instead of controversial. That's great, and it's a personality business as well. All correct. And, okay. and that's where we are today. I mean, it used to be that you could just, you know, do a great song and everybody would find you. Well, that's not like that anymore. You have to be more than your song. That's great. What, yes. Uh, what do you? What's your take on, did you hear this um, player in the Super Bowl that has, always, has been fined several times for not talking to the media? 
and he came on yesterday not to be fined during media day, and he said, I'm here not to get fined. And he repeated that like 35 <laughs> times or what it was. And then he came on today and he said basically the same thing for the second part of the media thing. Did you hear about that at all? Yeah. Well, you know, everybody, you got to think the Super Bowl is a TV special. But is you it know, giving it, this know, guy more attention well, he, than... Well, he's obligated. You know, they're contra- it's part of the deal. You mm-hmm. know, they have to do press. Uh, I even think this deflate gate's a part of creating a, a controversy for something that they had a 10-day span of we need to make it active, and it worked. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's time to, to completely wrap it up. So okay. I think right now you have been listening to Music Biz 101 and more on Brave New Radio. And next week we have a bye. That's right. There is basketball. There is basketball. basketball. So we would not be here next week, but we will be back in uh, two weeks, I believe. Yes, we will. It's either two or three weeks. So we'll be back. We're listening to The World Is Ours, Allie Mack Project. We want to thank George Dassinger for being here. Yes. Thank Thank you. you. Great show. We want to thank Eric DuPont as our student guest host. Thank you, Eric. Good, Eric. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was great to have you. And then Phil Chavsky as our as our wonderful producer, Phil Chavsky. Thank you very much. And of course, we always want to thank Dr. Stephen Marconi. Well, thank you too. Yeah, thank you. And I am yes. Yes, we are going to get some sleep. I am David Kirk. Phil, this has been Music Biz One Hundred One. More go to MusicBiz One Hundred One WP.com. Sign up for our newsletter. And until then, we say to you. Taking it all